Welcome to Here We Are, the podcast where we talk about curiosity, fascination, and what makes us delightfully nerdy. I am your ultra nerd host for the day, Joy Bork. This season is focused around the theme of your flavor of nerd, or YFON as I abbreviated it in the episode title. I am so, so excited for you to hear today's guest. Our paths crossed because we realized as a family that we needed some help communicating better with our adorable rescue pup, Carly. So Julia stepped up, stepped in, and coached us really well. So without further ado, here we are, Season 3, Episode 2, People Training. My name is Julia Lane, and I've been a dog trainer for about 15 years. Probably the thing that would surprise people the most is that I didn't used to like dogs. What? I know. I thought they would lick your hands and it was gross. I didn't like it. And my husband was the original dog lover. Wow. Yeah, before we got married even, he's like, we need to get a dog. I'm like, I like our cat just fine. See, I kind of wasn't going to talk about cat. Our cat is great. So he doesn't, he's not icky with saliva, right? It's funny how things like that happen. But right. I did want a dog back when I was a kid because I did actually train my one cat, Digger, to walk on a collar and leash. I'd walk him around the neighborhood. What? And we would stop at intersections and we would cross the street. And then the best part, <laughs> this is my favorite part, because I really love seeing animals just when they can run free, full out. So I would walk him around the block. We'd go to the school and then I don't know why I trusted that he would always go home like a homing pigeon, but I would take his leash off and we'd start running across the huge school field to my backyard. And it was the coolest feeling to see him just race ahead of me as fast as he possibly could. He was a, a mostly black kitty with a little white bow tie. He would just take off like, yeah, he was like in a sprint at the Olympics and I was just in awe always that he knew where to go or cared to go there because being a cat, he could have been like, yeah, no. But <laughs> yeah, it's just so fast and free. There was no other time where I would see him being like that. And it was so cool. So I did want a dog when I was a little girl, but my dad grew up in the city in Chicago. And I don't know if he ever saw anyone get bit or just had bad experiences with dogs, yeah. but he was always, no. So um, I trained my cat instead. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You had that instinct that far back. I always loved animals. I always felt a kinship. In fact, I was told by uh, one of my very good friends when I was in elementary school, I had to stop being such an animal lover because boys wouldn't like me. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, that ticks me yeah. off. Well, it didn't stop me <laughs> because like, you're a strong, independent woman. I, uh, no, I was, I was a naive little girl who wasn't really interested in boys yet. So I was like, I, oh, I don't know, boys, ew. She also was going to tell me I had to stop, I had to stop listening to ABBA and start listening to Duran Duran because they were popular. Yeah. So. Well, they each their own. <laughs> it's funny. We didn't stay friends much longer. So. <laughs> Good decision. Yeah. Yeah. Good Not job, a fellow little nerd. Not a fellow nerd. She had different aspirations. <laughs> Okay, so what flavor of nerd do you want to talk about today? It's whatever you want. Wow. So can we talk about people training? Absolutely, we can talk about people training. Okay. okay, so for muggles that have no idea what you're talking about, what does that mean? 
So when people ask me to come help with their dog, they're really asking me to come help them with their dog. And a lot of times they'll joke with me that they know that. They know that I'm helping them. And I don't like to think of myself as a trainer. I like to think of myself as a teacher Mm. because dog training, thankfully, has come such a long way from you must do this, you must obey, to now it's can we have a cooperative relationship. Right. And that is something when people ask me about becoming a dog trainer, my first question is, do you like people? Because it's a given that they like dogs, unless they were like me and initially, <laughs> like they, they went through a period where they did not. But it's a given they like dogs. But do you like people? Huh. Because you're going to have a relationship, an important relationship with them. And you're going to need to be able to communicate with them. And you need them to trust you. You can't come in all judgy or self-righteous. Oh, I know all the right stuff to do. You need to listen to them. And I I did minor in psychology in college briefly. I wish I had followed through on that because I think it would have helped me even more. Yeah. uh, Especially early on in my career. But yeah. So, and then it's also interesting when you have families. I always, of course, I always want the entire family there possible, but I can often tell who called me and who's really into it or who is kind of harangued into calling me. (laughs) We have to do something about this dog, call a trainer. So I'm always observing and paying attention to the dynamics of the family and trying to reach out to see, you know, everybody needs a little bit of reinforcement. You are doing this correctly. Oh my gosh, I can see that you worked hard on this or you tried that or what have you. I don't want to just dismiss anybody or anything. And then building that rapport, that relationship, that trust, it's really important. Wow. Okay. So when did you realize it wasn't dog training, it was people training? Was that a switch flip? Was that a realization? Or was that just like a gradual understanding? Probably. Okay. So long, long time ago, I lived in New Orleans and I volunteered at an animal shelter and it was after 9-11 and I found myself wanting, like many people, wanting to, to do something to help my community And I knew there was a great need at the city shelter. And I thought, this is something I can do. And my husband volunteered as well. And um, what I found, I was very good at matchmaking dogs in need of homes with people. But it took a lot of time to figure that out. I just thought, oh, they're coming in and they're looking for such and such dog. But I really want them to adopt this dog. Mm No, you need to listen to the person and figure out what's their lifestyle, what's realistic. You don't want to be like a used car salesman. And and I never could do that kind of job because I wouldn't have any passion for it. I could do the the volunteer work and the matchmaking at the shelter because I had a lot of passion for it. And I really cared, not just about the animal, but the people. I think that kind of surprised me, that part of it. And that's when I started to make that connection Hmm. because I'd always felt more comfortable with animals, very comfortable with people one-on-one, mm-hmm. but did not care for a group setting, too yeah. overwhelming. And in that case, I could relate a lot to animals and their perspective mm. and then communicate it to the people to help them. So a great mm. example is I love German Shepherds. One of my best friends, she worked at that shelter and we started a German Shepherd rescue because they were overlooked. There were a lot of amazing German shepherds that were overlooked. They had great temperaments, but they were a big dog. You don't want a big dog. Or 
a couple of times, um, that's a canine. And I thought, well, yeah, it's a, I didn't, I didn't get it. I grew up in the Midwest. I'm a white woman. I didn't know what it meant for a lot of African-Americans in the yeah. New Orleans community. And I was very naive about it. And mm-hmm. then it was explained to me by some staff at the shelter. Yeah. Some people have really understandably negative reactions to German shepherds. Oh, okay. So they really don't want to see this stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I learned so much about people working at the animal shelter. Wow. What I just wrote down in my notes that I just thought was so interesting is it sounds like you were an empathy translator. Like Mm -hmm. you were able to both understand what's happening with the people and understand what's happening with the animals and be that conduit to help the empathy connect. Yes. Sometimes even when I don't want to, Uh, which is true as a trainer now. So I have to uh, be careful about situations I put myself in. Hmm. because it can be very painful depending on what hmm. I'm seeing. And sometimes I have to not accept a client because I can tell in talking to them hmm. that we're not going to work well together. I I don't see it as a negative. I'm a touchy-feely person. Mm-hmm. But there are some people I found, interestingly, I would refer them to a male dog trainer And that same information, even though that male trainer was a positive reinforcement trainer like myself, because they were a man, they would be able to communicate. And that's fine by me because I'd rather the dog get the benefit. But it did take a lot of time to figure that out. And it would have saved me a lot of trouble early on if I had figured that out sooner. But at least I did. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So tell me about a moment when you realized holy crap, I'm good at this. In terms of the, like the People public training, recognizing it? Whatever comes to mind. For me personally. Your realization. Oh, something that you're gosh. proud of. Something I'm proud of. Okay. All right. The reason I became a professional dog trainer, so I was doing training you know, at the shelter in terms of teaching the dogs some basic polite skills to help them out when they met prospective adopters, right? But that wasn't too hard to do. That was the staff is kind of helping you and stuff like that. But my husband found a Dalmatian puppy who we think looking back, she was probably a Dalmatian pit bull mix. And um, oh my gosh, she loved him. She loved him. Like I would joke that I could have a steak and he would walk in the room. She'd be like, daddy, like she just loved him. And it was wonderful, but also hard. I didn't like her. She, she destroyed my great grandma's antique wooden chest One as a puppy. One time, uh, and to be fair to her, she was exceptionally brilliant and got bored easily. And I didn't know anything. And Mm. so she's the reason I became a professional trainer because I thought, okay, I need to take her somewhere. I had been taking our pit bull mix Shelby to an obedience club for training and they did the old fashioned training I didn't like and Shelby didn't like and I couldn't find anything else so I kept going but then I saw on the grounds they had this agility equipment set up I thought well maybe Darby would like that she's leggy she's athletic I did it out of pity I thought you know she she doesn't get to go with me and Shelby I'll take her to this and she was a star she was amazing she was so fast and incredible and I was so proud of myself in terms of creating a relationship with her through agility because Mm. it was training but it didn't feel that way it was so fun 
and it became a passion and it still is. And she lived to be 16 years old. And I am so grateful that I made that decision to do that with her because I don't, well, she didn't like me either. I don't think. We just, we always would have been buying for my husband's attention. He'd be like, girls, girls, but you know, it just, it just, but we were able to foster that relationship. And before I knew it, I was learning, she was, she was not a fan of certain dogs and she was not a fan of some men. So that's huh. where the true learning for me took place because she and I love the agility so much, but in order for us to do it and to do it without scaring other people or other dogs. I had to teach her to at least tolerate other dogs Mm. being around. So I had to suddenly read everything I could get my hands on. That's when I learned about clicker training and operant conditioning and positive reinforcement and science-based training and choice-based training. Oh my gosh. Then it was just incredible. And she was such a patient teacher. I, at the time, didn't think she was. And now I look back at how I knew nothing to start and she was incredibly patient and trusting of me. And I quickly started my pit bull mix doing, I tried agility with her. It was really funny. <laughs> I took her, I took her to an agility seminar because I oh, I know my stuff now because I've trained this other dog. And I took Shelby and it was an obedience club where everyone had purebreds and they had a history of obedience behind them. And they're all looking at me and they're like, so what kind of dog is that? <laughs> I'm like, a pit bull. And before I could even say mix, they're like, Oh, like a pit bull. (laughs) It was just, and then they set up the agility equipment. I thought, Oh, they're running a full course. And my dog, if I take her leash off, I don't. Oh, so I remember just struggling with like setting up her crate, like all these people knew each other. And here I am with my mixed breed. And I was so excited because I had her go through an agility tire off leash. I was like, yay. And they're all looking at me like, okay. (laughs) Well, their dogs are Australian shepherds and border collies and labs and they're super fast and paying attention. And she was like this wrestler type build. She was not built for speed or agility. She's (laughs) a bull mastiff going through this tire. And it was like, yeah, we won a championship. (laughs) So, and I remember just looking at everyone so proud and they were like, Okay. <laughs> Good job, right. champ. Great job, right? <laughs> like, I was so naive and happy. I did not pick up on that. Thank goodness. It's <laughs> the story of my life. I, I was so naive. I don't pick up on that judgment or whatever it is. So. That's a gift, though. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, I love this so much. What is one of the things that you learned in that, like, deep dive study that blew your mind and you still use? Mm, I learned, so it's called reactivity. When a dog like Darby is uncomfortable with a situation or a person or another dog and they react, they will bark, growl, lunge because they want to look scary And they learn pretty quickly that if they demonstrate that kind of intense behavior, they will be quickly removed from the situation by their owner, Mm. or it will scare away the other person or dog. So from their perspective, it's a solution because the, the owner is not recognizing they can't handle a situation. 
So I learned that with Darby early on because where we lived in New Orleans, unfortunately, there were some kids who thought it was funny to play chicken with her on a sidewalk. So I'd be walking her and they come running up and she, of course, would be scared. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what their intentions were. And then at the last minute, they'd veer off. And so she just got more and more scared. Like she would see kids and just start getting scared. And I realized, oh, this is a problem. So it taught me, don't wait for the problem to happen. If you see a pattern of behavior, you can predict what's going to happen and then plan ahead of time Hmm. what to do to help your dog feel comfortable and safe. Um, Because initially it was embarrassing. And I see that with owners to this day where they're surprised or they don't know what to do. That's what it comes down to. That behavior happens all the time and they don't know what to do. So they end up yelling at the dog. Yeah. Because they're flustered, they're embarrassed, they don't know what to do. And that's more for a public display than it is for the dog. It's right. for anyone who's watching. Yeah, my dog was naughty, bad. I'm, you know, taking care of it now. And it's like the dog isn't being bad. And and you're not bad to yell at your dog in that. I mean, of course, I don't want you to, but you, you don't know what to do. Right. So uh, that lesson with Darby, and that was a long time ago. That was probably good gosh, 20 years ago, that lesson stuck with me. So I learned to be mindful about situations I put her in. And interestingly, with my son, he's very young, and he has some sensory issues. And early on, I did not pick up on that. And I would put him in situations like any other kid his age, oh, yeah, we're going to go to a story time at the library, won't this be great? And he would be upset and crying and he was so young and he was not happy. And I thought, oh, he's just, he'll fit in eventually. Like I did not get it. Hmm. And then other type group things. And then finally I realized, oh my gosh, he's trying to tell me I can't handle this or I don't like this. Please stop signing me up for these things. (laughs) So so then when I realized that, and it's true, it takes a village to to raise a child, to raise a dog, to to improve ourselves. And I thankfully have some good friends and family who were like, oh, you know what? Maybe he would prefer that you not do those things and do this instead. That's the other thing I learned from Darby is you can't tell her no and not expect her to go back to what she was doing because she doesn't know, well, what's the yes? What am I supposed to do after that? And so it wasn't, don't take my son to these places or activities. What can I do instead? Yeah, that's huge and so applicable in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting how, and a lot of times we put ourselves repeatedly in situations that are not good for us. And we either don't recognize it or we think it's going to, it'll, it'll just get better. As I get older, I'm much better at recognizing professionally and personally what is healthy and what is not. That's amazing. It's okay okay to say no. Wow. So if people wanted to learn more about this, what would you recommend that they do for next steps? Um, If they want to learn about positive reinforcement dog training, I highly recommend any book by Patricia McConnell. She is now a retired uh, professor from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She writes with a great sense of humor. So she's not just this dry academic. She's got great stories. And I don't think she's doing seminars anymore. But if you ever had a chance to her, or I know she sometimes gives a talk if she has a new book come out, go see her because she's really entertaining and informative 
and very earnest in wanting to educate people and their and their dogs. Um, another person I absolutely love is Susan Garrett, and she has a podcast called Shaped by Dog, and it's brilliant. I have learned so much from her, and she's extremely entertaining, very dynamic in her presentation, and she has a blog as well. So those two professionals are excellent, and I, I consider them mentors. That's fantastic. Ah, thank you so much for your time. This was everything I hoped it would be. Oh, you're welcome. So here we are. I just learned so much in this short time with Julia. She is a genuinely amazing human who lives what she talks about. We seriously could have talked for so much longer. My mind is still chugging over what Julia said about learning to recognize the signs around us of when our dogs or our people are experiencing overwhelming circumstances. Often, when I feel stuck or overwhelmed, I find it really hard to figure out how to remove myself. I do exactly what Julia talked about and I get prickly and cold. Yet, I've also experienced what it's like to have a caring human with me who realizes what I am feeling and helps me regulate myself back into tolerable circumstances. Ugh, oh my gosh, there's so much in this episode that I could go on and on about for so long. I would love to hear what you thought about our conversation today. Today's episode is made possible by so many of my people. Thanks to Lisa for the logo, to Katie for season three's concept clarity, to Julia for letting me interview you and for showing love and kindness to us and our adorable dog, Carly, as we learn how to communicate with each other better. I gotta know, what's one of your flavors of nerd? How does it show up in your life? If you're open to sharing about it and possibly being featured on the podcast, send me an email at herewearethepodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to join the Here We Are online community by following Here We Are on our Facebook page and Instagram. If you'd like to help out, please tell your friends about this podcast. If you'd like to go one step further and financially support what I'm doing with the podcast, head on over to patreon.com, search for Here We Are, the podcast, and sign up for one of the many quirky support tiers. The patron bonuses will continue to shift as my concepts for this podcast shift. So starting with season three, you'll have access to the unedited video versions of our featured nerds. So until next time, don't forget, curiosity wins and the world needs more nerds. Bye.